0: and I want to say a couple things. One, I almost cried when Adam started crying. Like, I don't know what it is. Uh, as I get older, I'm 38, and as I get older, I'm like more sentimental and weepy on things. I was watching a movie with the girls yesterday, and I don't know, just at this random part, I was like almost crying, and it wasn't even a sad part. It just made me think of kids, and something the movie triggered like with the kids, and being a being a dad, and I don't know, and I was like, oh, like I was like, hold it together, the girls are watching me, <laughs> They're looking at me. Um, but yeah, what an awesome display of generosity. Thank you for everyone who participated in that. Um, I don't know who Daniel sent that out to, so maybe not everyone got a chance to participate in that. And, and if you want to, if, if you want a chance to participate in it and you didn't get that, uh, you can just give it to Adam. Um, so, I mean, I don't think he's going to refuse refuse more generosity, so. But but thank you for that. Um, it was really, yeah, it's just really, and a really amazing display, especially for someone who gives so much to our community, but also someone who, um, like, I mean, really, Adam just couldn't afford to get another computer. He's been without one for weeks, so just just really awesome. Um, I want to say something before we jump into the passage too, and into our series. Uh, this Friday, there's a big, there's a, um, a mass shooting in Christchurch in New Zealand, and I don't know if you guys are following that. It was at a, it was at a couple of mosques. About 50 people died. Last time I, I heard, maybe more, because they're more wounded, I think. And uh, just, just want to say a few words on that. Um, for us as Christians, that should affect us. Right? We, we, we may read that news and we say, oh, well, that's, that's a Muslim community, that's, that's different. Because um, if we want freedom of religion for us, then we want it for everybody, right? Freedom of religion isn't freedom if it's only for one, one group of people. Uh, and for us as a church, we, we work in the multi-faith arena, and so I have friends who are Muslim leaders and and, this is the, and and interfaith and multi-faith are different. Uh, interfaith, I find a lot of the things I've done with interfaith work don't have a lot of results. Um, and I think the reasoning is, interfaith is more tolerance and acceptance driven. And it's, it's saying, hey, let's, let's lay our beliefs aside so that we can work together. But working together never happens because everyone's like hiding what they believe okay? faith is different. It's fueled not by tolerance and acceptance, but by love. That's what fuels us, right? It's the love of Christ that pushes us forward. And, and when love fuels us, we can actually put our beliefs on the table and say, we believe this, we recognize you believe this, and we can still work together. Does that make sense? Like, it's, it's helpful for me to work with somebody who who it, and Muslim thinks, apart from me being part of their religion, I'm going to hell. And it's helpful for them to know that apart from Jesus, I think they're not going to be in eternity with Jesus, right? Like, it's helpful for us to understand that we believe those things, that we hold to those things, those are core truths, and yet still work together out of love. And that's the beauty of multi-faith. And so those that we work with in so many different arenas as a church— uh, we, we approach it like that. We don't try to hide who we are. We don't try to brush it aside. We lay it on the table and say, this is who we are, and we want you to do the same. That's how you build community, uh, genuine community and transparency. And, and so I, I sent a message to, to some of I was sick this week, as Missy was saying. <laughs> I think our BOG just got hit. Uh, Daniel's not here this morning. Lucas, you see Lucas, he's like dragging himself around. Uh, poor guy. Um, and and if I, I wish I wasn't, because we would have actually gone out there on Friday to to their to their prayer services. Uh, but I was able to send them messages this week, and just said, "Hey, I want to bless you guys in the name of Jesus. We're with you. We're standing with you in solidarity um, uh, against these senseless acts of violence, and just want to let you know that." Uh, we love you guys." And then I sent them some, some blessings out of the Beatitudes and, and said we're praying over, over them uh, as, a, as a community. And man, guys, like, you should have seen, I wish I, I should just pull it up, but you should have seen the responses they gave me from that and how much that, that means and how much that meant to them and how much that means for their community, right? That's how we build bridges with communities that historically we've burnt bridges to, right? How do we reach people for Jesus if we can't, if we keep on burning these bridges, right, like, we have, we have, we have the village right here, and historically, the Christian community has burnt the bridges to that community, and we're called to love people, and so we want to step forward into love. We'll never do that if we isolate ourselves, so I encourage you guys to your, to your Muslim friends, like, reach out to them, let them know that uh, you're with them. I said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And I said another beatitude in there, blessed are. And, and that was it. And I said, these are the words of Jesus from, from our scriptures. And, um, and yeah, and I expect that to, to allow us to talk about Jesus, hopefully later, later down the line. But just want to say a few words on that and, and hopefully lead our community to pray for them and, and, to, and to say, yeah, we're, we're with you as people who pursue faith, um, people who, who are pursuing God. And that's the thing, guys, they're pursuing God. And, and all we can do is see the differences and, and, and push ourselves selves away. And don't hear me wrong. There's one way to the Father, and that's Jesus. Right? He's the way, the truth, and the life. There aren't multiple roads that lead to, to heaven. There aren't multiple roads that lead to the Father. It's just one way, Jesus, and we stand firm on that. That is core to us. Trinity is core. Resurrection, cross, those are core to us. We will not negotiate on those. But if we keep on isolating ourselves from the world, we're never going to reach the world. Okay? So, um, yeah, just wanted to say that to begin. Let's jump into this series. Uh, we are in the series called Welcome Home. And uh, I'm really excited. It's been really good so far. We've done Welcome Healing. What this is, guys, is it's a picture of how we should share our faith. It's a picture of how we should move forward in sharing our life with people. Like, a lot of times with, with evangelism, and I hesitate to use that word because even just saying it, I could see some of you cringe internally when I said evangelism. It's like, ah, uh, you know, our city calls it proselytizing. Like, don't proselytize here, they'll, they'll say to us when we work for the city. And, and so even, even when uh, I say that word, we, we have this, like, Ugh. Well, that's the point of this series. We're trying to redefine what it means to share our faith. We're trying to help, help you see that it's not as bad as you think it is. That's not as hard as you think it is. That it doesn't have to be as awkward as you think it is. But it's if we're going to follow Jesus, it's a natural outworking of who we are of our identity in Christ and our destiny in Christ. We just do it, it's natural. We just share faith, we just talk about Jesus, much like you would talk about your spouse, your boyfriend, your kids, your job, your whatever you you put in the categories of your life, you talk about those things all the time with, with ease. If Jesus is your life, which if you're a follower of Jesus, Paul says your life is in Christ and he actually is your life, if that's true for you, then he should be as easy to talk about as anybody else in your life. And we want to help you get there. What we've done though is we've, we've made it awkward. We've made it, we've made it hard to talk about Jesus with people. We've, we've just made it, um, I don't know. We've, we, yeah, we've, we've made it weird. And, and so hopefully through this series, as we go through the meals with Jesus, so each, each sermon is centered around a meal, we'll see that Jesus makes it pretty easy. Because first he he does it by welcome healing. He does welcome forgiveness. Today we're talking about welcome, welcoming abundance. And and that's what we welcome people into when we share, when we share Jesus with them. We welcome them into healing, into forgiveness, into abundance next week into perspective, into sacrifice. And then eventually we're gonna welcome them home. And and so we're we're trying to we're trying to like reshape your thinking on evangelism here. When I was growing up, I loved MacGyver. You guys, anyone know MacGyver? Like, um, yeah, all the old people, raise your hands. <laughs> no, no, MacGyver has a remake, right? And then SNL did this thing on it called MacGruber. And, yeah, two people remember that. It was hilarious, like MacGruber. Uh, there's a guy in the NBA with a last, anyways. Uh, I won't go into that. But MacGruber was like a take on it. So MacGyver was this guy. He was like a, he was a science nerd. And not that science is cool, guys. I just meant like... He, he was, like, really big into science, and, and he can make anything out of anything, and he can get out of any situation with, like, a paperclip and a gum wrapper, right? Like, he's, like, locked in this cage underwater with 10 seconds of air, and he finds a paperclip and a gum wrapper, and he can get out of it, and I loved it. I just loved watching that show and, and how, uh, like, I have, like, a a fixing personality and a personality that loves to like, solve problems and, and like a detective personality and like, who loves to put things together. And um, someone asked me the other day if, if, I'm, if I'm handy. And I'm like, well, I don't know, but I love to try. Like I love to fix and, and tinker with things. And so this is McGarris, so I, I, I love that show and he always did it with very, very little, right? Problem is, for us, when we follow Jesus, we're expecting God to give us a bunch before we do anything. We're we're waiting there for God to give us a whole bunch of things before we do anything. We don't have this mentality that MacGyver has, where we have two things, and we're saying, okay, we can do something with this that's amazing. And we're going to see what happens in this passage uh, through a few little things, and how Jesus does something really amazing. So, Welcome abundance. Let's let's jump into this passage. All I'm going to do this morning is walk through the text. Like we're just going to walk through it and talk through it. Hopefully, I'm going to teach you a little bit this morning how to read this thing, how to read your Bibles, and and we'll see what Jesus does when he welcomes abundance over, over a meal. So, Missy read verses 1 through 6. We're going to start in verse 7, and I'll go back to 1 through 6. We're going to go through 22 verses here and uh, I love narrative in the scriptures. And what well, you have to recognize, when you read the Bible, guys, uh, you should read different genres in different ways. Okay, so when you read the Psalms, for instance, it's poetry, right? Anything offset in your Bible is poetry. So when you read the Psalms, it's, it's poetry. Um, and you don't read it the same way, right? You don't take it completely literally, Right? When it says the strong man runs its course and it's like the sun, or, or you read, you, read, um, uh, you know, create in me a clean heart, O God, cleanse me with hyssop, hide the word in, in my heart. Like those are all symbolic terms, right? They're all, it's all symbolism. When you read narrative, especially in the Gospels here, this is historical, right? And it's, and it's narrative, which means it's a story, which means it's an account, which means that when you read this, we should put ourselves in the place of it, okay? And oftentimes when we read the scriptures, what we do, I find a lot of people do this, we put ourselves in the place of God, not in the place of who he's ministering to, okay? Just think about this. We read the Old Testament, you see the Israelites, and you're like, man, they're a bunch of dummies. They're complaining, they got free food. Like, what's wrong with them? Well, we're looking at it like we're, were from God's perspective. Like if we were the Israelites in the desert, wandering in the middle of nowhere with nothing, when we just came from a a bunch of things, we'd be saying the same thing. So here in this passage, don't put yourself in the place of Jesus, let's put ourselves in the place of the disciples, of the apostles, okay? Because that's really who we are, right? We look at Peter and we say, ah, that guy's a hothead, that guy just like mouths off at everything. Well, look at yourself. I'm, I'm that guy. <laughs> you might be that guy. Uh, I'm, definitely not, I'm definitely not like Jesus in most of these passages, but I want to be, right? So we look at Jesus too, and we look at how he calls us to be more like him. So starting in verse 7, um, it says, now Herod the Tetrarch, which is just like his ruler title, right? He's, um, he's this king of a certain region. He's this ruler of a certain region. So now Herod the Tetrarch heard all about, or heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, he was confused, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. Herod said, in verse 9, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. So a few things here. One, let let me talk about John, for instance. John, for, for a second, John the Baptist is, he was the forerunner for Christ. He's out in the wilderness, he's saying, Jesus is coming, or he doesn't know it's Jesus yet. He's saying the Lamb of God is coming, right? He doesn't know Jesus, the person, is the one who it is. And he's saying, the Lamb of God is coming. He's coming to take, to take away the sins of the world. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's baptizing people. People are coming to faith uh, in droves. Uh, they haven't had a prophet from the Lord in a long time, guys. Hundreds of years, there's been a period of silence. And now John the Baptist shows up, and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And people are repenting, and they're coming to, to faith. This is all before Jesus shows up on the scene. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and and John says, John's about to let Jesus baptize him, but but Jesus says, no, you're supposed to baptize me. John baptizes Jesus. We see this beautiful picture of the Trinity. The Father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove, and Jesus, the Son of God, is there, and he's setting an example for us, right? Well, John has this ministry, and he ends up getting beheaded by Herod. Why? Because Herod's afraid that his kingship, that his rulership is going to be stripped from him. That this guy who's amassing a following is going to now usurp his throne. What Herod doesn't understand is the kingdom of God does not work that way. Do you guys get that? The kingdom of God doesn't work that way. The kingdom of God isn't to be established here to overthrow powers. It's not here to usurp thrones. You know, it's, the disciples didn't get this. They spent three and a half years with Jesus, and at the end, Jesus teaches them, after he's, re- he's on the cross, dies, resurrected from the grave, he spends 40 days teaching the disciples on the kingdom, not on the church, not on prayer, not on, uh, you know, giving, not on, Uh, pastoring people, although those all probably fall under the kingdom. It says he teaches them on the kingdom. And when he's about to ascend into heaven, the disciples say to him, hey, are you going to restore the kingdom? And he's like, you guys still don't get it. You guys still don't get it. And then he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And here, Herod does not get the kingdom. He thinks his kingdom, this earthly kingdom, this temporary kingdom, this ephemeral kingdom, this kingdom that is fleeting, that he has these control over people, is gonna be stripped from him. He doesn't understand that John the Baptist doesn't care a lick about that. And but he beheads him. But it says also in verse 8 that Elijah had appeared, that that some thought that Elijah came back. Why would they think that? Where where would that come from? That seems pretty random. One, Elijah was one of the chief prophets in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures. And he didn't die. He actually was kind of whisked away by like this flaming chariot and went into uh, heaven to be with, to be with God. Um, pretty crazy, right? So he never, <laughs> he never died. So everyone was probably like, oh, well, he could come back someday. And then, two, Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, says that Elijah is going to come and he's going to be the forerunner. He's going to declare that, that Jesus, the Messiah, Sorry, that the Messiah is coming, right? Because they don't know it's Jesus yet, the person, right? So he says he's he's coming. So that's why some people thought that. And then they say, oh, maybe one of the other prophets had risen. And Herod doesn't get it. And so he seeks to see him. And guys, this guy, Herod, he's fearful. He's not a follower, right? He didn't grow up in church. He's secular. He's... He's betrayed people. He's killed people. He's, he's definitely like, living in sin. Um, and, and he's seeking Jesus. Now, we can dissect his motives and his tensions, but let's not do that. He's just seeking Jesus. You know, this world, this city, your neighborhood, your workplace is seeking Jesus. They're seeking something. He doesn't know who Jesus is yet, right? He doesn't get it. He doesn't know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. He doesn't know that Jesus is fulfilling all the promises from all of history up to this point. He doesn't know that Jesus is gonna give him peace. He doesn't know that Jesus is gonna uh, show him love. He doesn't know anything about Jesus, but he knows there's something that perplexes him, and he's seeking him. And you know, we're talking about abundance today, and for us, we tend to operate in a mentality of scarcity. That's the opposite. We tend, to opposite <laughs> we tend to operate in a mentality of scarcity when what Christ wants to give us is an attitude of abundance. And do you realize your abundance is not dependent on you? It's dependent on who, uh, on who that attitude is, is from. And it's from Jesus, and we're, going to get, and we're going to get to that. So he seeks to see him. In verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Okay, on their return from where? Right, we should ask that question. On, on, on their return from what? what? What had they done? So this is verses 1 through 6 that Missy read earlier. So going back up to verses 1 through 6, Jesus had called the 12 disciples together, the 12 apostles. Levi, who we talked about a few weeks ago, is included in this. The one who was a tax collector now is following Jesus. And this is what he does, guys. He gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He doesn't give them power and authority over Herod. He doesn't give them power and authority over the Romans. He doesn't give them power and authority over uh, their bosses, he says, I give you power and authority over all demons. This is all the spiritual world. And to cure diseases. No, just note that in your mind right now. Two, and he, verse two, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Do you guys realize that many times when the kingdom of God is mentioned, what else is mentioned in there? Healing healing, John the Baptist, he sends, his, he sends his disciples to his followers, his people, to Jesus just a few chapters earlier, and he says, hey guys, John the Baptist saying this before he gets beheaded to his, to his guys, he's like, hey, go find out who this guy is because I know, like, I baptized him earlier, and I'm not sure, and remember, Jesus is John's cousin, right? Can you imagine if your cousin came up and said, and, And and so like I'm the Lamb of God, take away the sins of the world. Now Jesus didn't say that. But can you imagine like your cousin and seeing like, oh, I don't like I I see some signs, but is this the guy? So he's like, hey guys, go ask, go ask Jesus and then report back to me. So they do that. They go to Jesus, and you know what Jesus says to them? So John says, Ask, ask this. He says, Are you ask, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus says this, go and tell John this. Do the blind see? Do the lame walk? Are the clean, are the unclean made clean? Did the deaf hear? Are those who were dead, are they now resurrected? Like Jesus has been raising people from the dead. <laughs> and he says, And the poor have good news preached to them. And that's it, he leaves them with that. So they go back to John and say that. Why? Because those are all marks of the kingdom of God being ushered in. And we have here the kingdom of God. He says he gave them power and authority to cure diseases, and now they're proclaiming the kingdom of God, and they're healing. This is why when we did the sermon two weeks ago, Welcome Healing, it was the first one. Because when you usher people into the kingdom, when we usher the kingdom into our city, Healing happens, guys. Healing happens. Now, it may not mean people are home yet, but healing happens. Do you want healing this morning? I think we say we want healing. I think our city might say, yeah, I want healing. But but do we really? Do you really want to give up that sin? Do you really want to give up pornography? Do you you really want to give up your greed and your love for money? Do you really want to give up your dreams to be successful? Do you really want to give up your desire for a spouse, that person who you think is just going to complete you and fulfill you? You have to give those things up if you want healing. And so when I ask you, do you want healing? Consider those things. Are you willing to give up those other things to receive something more beautiful, to receive healing? And a lot of times we would say, if we really thought about it, that answer might be no. And that's why I talked about it two weeks ago as the initial step to receive healing. And then Jesus welcomes forgiveness, right? And now he's welcoming us into abundance. And so he sends them out. This is back in verse 3. And he says to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff for protection, right? Nor bag, nor bread, nor bag. Like, how many times do you see anybody walking around Toronto without a bag? Right? I, how many of you guys have your bag in here this morning? Pretty much, like, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we all work here in bags everywhere, right? But he says, don't even take your bag, guys. Don't take any bread. You don't need food. Don't take money. You'll be fine. And do not have two tunics. I'm assuming he doesn't want them to go out completely naked. So hopefully they have one tunic. <laughs> so he says, but don't, you don't need two. Just, just take one. It's okay if you're smelly. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever you do not receive, whoever does not receive you, when you do that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they left. They departed, went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They went, Jesus is trying to take the mentality of scarcity out of them by giving them nothing. That doesn't seem very nice, right? <laughs> like, like, Jesus, if you want me to operate in an attitude of abundance, why don't you give me a lot? Then I'll, then I'll operate in an attitude of abundance, right? And that's what I mean. We're waiting for God to give us a bunch of things in order to operate in this attitude. But for the disciples, he says, I want to root this mentality of scarcity out of your hearts and out of your minds, so I'm going to make things scarce. That's very paradoxic, paradoxical to me. I'm like, if if I was God, I want to do things that way. Uh, but Jesus does things that way, right? And thank God I'm not God. Jesus does things that way because he says, this is how we're going to we're gonna tear this out of you. Go out, trust me, depend on me, and, and depart from here, and let me show you how to work. Let me show you how, sorry, let me show you how I work. And they go out there. And then, remember, guys, he just talked about the Beatitudes. He's just given... The Sermon on the Mount, just a few chapters earlier, where he said, Hey, don't be anxious about anything. We, like, even the lilies of the field are clothed, the birds of the air get fed. How much more so do I love you? And he's trying to do something in us when we come to faith. He's trying to say, You guys can actually do this, and you don't need the things of the world to accomplish the things of the Spirit. How often do we think we need the things of the world to accomplish the things of the Spirit? He says, go forward without anything. And so they do. And guess what, guys? In verse 10, they came back. They didn't die out there, even though they didn't have their staff, even though they didn't have food, they didn't have a place to stay, they didn't have um, two tunics, they didn't have bread. They came back. And, he, and they told Jesus all that they had done. Like, excitedly, right? They're healing people. They come back like like little kids, like really excited. They're like, Jesus, you can't believe what just happened. You can't believe what what God did through us. You can't can't believe the people that we healed and the the demons that were exorcised and the people who received forgiveness and healing, and you can't believe what happened. And he's like, yeah, I, I can. I've been showing you how to do that stuff. But they're so excited, right? And he took them, and he withdraws to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. Jesus can never get alone. Uh, They followed him, and he welcomed them, and he spoke to them of what? Of the kingdom. He spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. There it is again. They're paired, right? He spoke to them of the kingdom, and what does he do? He heals. Welcome, healing. Now, the day began to wear away. Just actually, just a few notes on the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom of God a lot here at Trinity Life Church. Our DNA is Kingdom Disciple Society Church, If we start with the kingdom. We're going to get the church. Jesus starts with the kingdom, so we start with the kingdom. And we are kingdom disciples, engaging society, and out of that arises the church. That's what we talk about it here a lot. And we try to operate in a kingdom framework, not a church framework. Guys, if we operate in a church framework, we'll be stuck in Sunday morning, all right? We'll just be stuck here, um, and everything will, revol- will, will revolve around this, but this isn't what it all revolves around. Like, if you, if you think your Christian duty is coming to a worship service where you sing songs and you just sit there on a Sunday morning and listen to some random guy speak the scriptures, right, that, is, that is the wrong idea of your faith, your faith is about the kingdom of God. You are part of the church of God, which Jesus died for the bride of Christ. He died for the church, but the church is part of the kingdom. The church is the agent of the kingdom. The church is the missionary of the kingdom. Right? And this one gathering is not all-inclusive of the church. This is one small piece of the pie. Now, in our culture, in, the West, in Western culture, and in a lot of ways in the global south, we've made this the pie. we made this Sunday morning gathering the pie. And it's not. It's just one small piece. Like for our church, we have small groups. We, we work with the city in St. Jamestown through the new common space. We work around the world. We do multi-faith stuff. We plant churches. We, and I can go on and on. There's so many things, things that we do that are outside of this one little segment. And so if all you know of Trinity Life Church is this right here, you're missing maybe 90% of who we are, maybe more. Um, and, and you're missing 90% of the church, of what the church is supposed to be and what the church is. And just let me say one thing about our body life groups, our small groups, real quick. We had, you know, you know, the reason I think we're all, where's Lucas, we're all dealing with sickness is because we were so close on Tuesday, right? We were so close to each other, like... It was, and it was actually so amazing, right? Like, we had such an amazing time, and we just opened it up, let the spirit move. We all operated in our gifts, um, and we gathered around somebody and prayed, and maybe she was, she wasn't sick that night, but I don't know, we're all, we're all, like, linked by hands, and I don't know, maybe something, something happened there, but, like, it was just amazing, right? Because. We were just doing community. That was doing church. We were being the church guys together. Healing happened, forgiveness happened, transparency happened, community happened. Um, And guess what it started out with? Us sharing a meal together. It's a series. It's us sharing a meal together. It's us breaking bread together. You wanna see the significance of this? We think, ah, it's a meal. But Jesus does so much ministry in this book over meals, over breaking bread together, over us coming to the table together. This is why, at the end of the Last Supper, he breaks bread with them, and he redefines what a meal is, doesn't he? He redefines it totally. He says, when you do this, remember me. Not when you do this, guys. Yeah, when we do this, too. But why do you pray before you eat? This is such a random tangent. But why do you pray before you eat? Is it to bless the food for the what do we say? What's that line? betterment of our bodies or <laughs> nourishment of our bodies? Yeah, I hate that line. So if you said in my presence, there's no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But like change that a little bit. Like if you're eating Taco Bell, I don't know if, if Jesus can. <laughs> I don't know if he's gonna change that. If, like after you swallow it before it it's your stomach, right? Um, you know, but just thank Jesus for that food. Thank him. Thank him for his presence with you and go forward in his presence, right? That's what we do in our house. Like, it's not this long prayer where we, where we do other things. We just, we want to recognize Jesus there with us and oftentimes we pray for other things too, but we just want to recognize that he's there with us, right? Because we're breaking bread together. We're fellowshipping together. Um, now, there is something highly significant when we do this as a church, Right? and we'll talk about that later. But let's look at what Jesus does here. This is a huge meal here. Verse 11, or sorry, verse 12. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a what? In a desolate place. They have a mentality of scarcity. They look around, and they're like, Jesus, there's nothing around here. We're in a desolate place. And look what he says to him. Verse 13, he says, you give him something to eat. I keep imagining, he was like, you guys just came back. You went out with nothing. You came back all excited. You came back, like, on fire. Like, you saw you took no bread and bread was provided, you took no money, money is provided, you took no place to live with you, and that was provided for you. You took nothing except power and authority. And now you're in a desolate place? How often do we do that, guys? We're like, yeah, Jesus, I love Jesus, and then we're like, ah, I'm so sad. Hey, I'm over here. Is Jesus not good here and here? Like I get circumstances are hard, guys, but your circumstances are dictating your joy in Christ. And you don't have joy in Christ. You may have been happy over here, but the production of the Spirit in our lives is not happiness. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, and it's self-control. If you're producing other things in your life, other things are being produced in your life that aren't those things, they may, not be of the, they may not be of the Spirit. And they probably aren't. And this is what the guys are operating in. They're like, Jesus, look around you. We got nothing. He's basically like, when has that stopped you before? Like, you just went out. You give him something to eat. And this is what they do. They don't say, Yeah, Jesus, you're right. This is what we always do. We give an excuse. They're like, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. They look at their hands, and all they see is five loaves and two fish. Unless we're to go and buy food for all these people, which they're probably like, We don't have money. (laughs) So all they have is five loaves and two fish. And there's 5,000 men. And then more thousands of women and children, probably. Right, so we're talking somewhere between five and 10,000 people have followed them. And you can see Jesus looking at them like, I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know what he would look at them like. like. Is he shaking his head? Now, remember who we are in the story. We're the disciples, right? We're the ones who say, Jesus, this is all I got. All I got is five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is MacGyver. And he's like, I can work with that. I can, I can do some of that. And he's like, have them sit down in groups of 50. And then just start handing them out food. And he blesses it, right? He blesses it. He breaks the bread. He blesses it. He looks up to heaven and says, and they start handing it out. In verse 17, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. So it's not, that they, it's not just that they had enough. They had more than enough. Can we stop looking at, at, at just like wanting to have enough? and expect that Jesus is going to give us more than enough? And guys, I'm not talking about money here. Oftentimes when we think of this passage or we talk about abundance and, and life and, and, and things like that, we think in terms of finances and money. And, and we look at our hands and we're like, man, all I got is this and this. You know what? Adam probably looked at his hands and was like, I don't have money for this. Right? And he didn't ask us to do this. And the church, and the church comes around him and, and wants to bless. Right? Like, I'm tired of us as a church looking at our hands and seeing the lack. Can we look at our hands and see abundance for once? You know, when we, when Missy and I moved here six years ago, a little over six years, I don't know, what year is this? 2019, a little over six years ago. Um, we had nothing, guys. Like five loaves and two, two fish. We had like a few crumbs and maybe a bone, like a deboned fish, you know? Um, and when God, when God called us to start a church in downtown Toronto, one, we had never been to Canada, and we knew zero people in the entire country. 35 million people, we knew none and we'd never been to Toronto. We, we knew like four things about Toronto, I think. Um, and, but we knew God wanted us here. We knew, and, and our calling was a kingdom calling, and church planting kind of came under that. And so we left our family, we left our jobs, we left all that stuff, we sold some stuff, we, we packed up everything, brought our two-year-old and our one-year-old, and planted ourselves in downtown Toronto, much like many of you have done, and started meeting people. And we knew nobody. When I, when I looked outside the window that first week, I was like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> what do we do? Like, we just, like, everyone said we were crazy, and I finally realized, like, they're right. Like, we just gave up everything. I mean, guys, I was, like, people thought, why would you get a PhD? Why would you, like, you're teaching theology. Why would you do all that and then give it all up? Like, why, Missy, why would you work your way up in a corporate environment on the corporate ladder, and then give it up? Like, why would you have a home and give it up? Like, everything that we all work for, everything that he says here, money, tunics, uh, place to stay, bread, all these things, why would you do that? It's kingdom, the kingdom of God. And we knew God wanted to do something amazing here. And so we did that, and we, we moved here, and I was like, oh, man, like, am I really taking care of my family in this way? <laughs> like, that was crazy. And all I knew to do is meet people. And we just started meeting people. And people, and we started living on mission. Guys, this church then started a worship service, then started on a Bible study group, then started on a prayer group. It started by living on mission in Regent Park and working with organizations in the city. And that's it. It's by the kingdom. It's by going out and offering healing. It's by going out and offering forgiveness. It's by going out and offering abundance. And we're a church that's always operated in abundance. I mean, look around us. Like, half our people aren't here this morning. We, we don't have a lot of money. We don't have a lot of resources. But we've done a whole lot in five years. Because the, the city would give us money. I, that's unheard of in Toronto, right? Like, Like, we would partner with the city on things by just walking forward in abundance, by saying, God, all we have is these breadcrumbs and a deboned fish, but we know you can do something with that. And for those of you guys who are young leaders, I came in, when when God called us here, I felt completely inadequate. I still do most days. Not in a bad way. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not like, oh, I'm horrible. You guys know me. I think I'm the best. So <laughs> uh, I'm not like moping around, but I'm, I'm like, God, I don't have anything to offer. Like, I never started an organization. I never, um, the only thing I knew was how to move. I moved around a lot growing up. I knew that. I knew how to assimilate. I knew how to meet people. Like, that's it. And I looked at myself, and I was like, God. All I got is, abund- is like two crumbs, right? I, well, you got to do something with this. And, and, and so our inadequacies, guys, should thrust us into dependence on the Father. And it should take our mentality of scarcity and give us an attitude of abundance because it doesn't come from us. It comes from him. And we're rooted, our identity is rooted in Christ. And, and where that is, he is abundant, he came to give us the abundant life, not the scarce life, right? And that's a different quality of life. And so, I want to actually let's do this real quick before we finish this passage. This may be kind of weird for you if you're new here. Close your eyes, open your hands, and like look at your hands in your mind and say, "God, what what do I have in my hands?" So yeah, do that now. Is it five, like picture this, is it five loaves and two fish? Is it just a few crumbs? Is it empty? You know God works with empty? He probably works best with empty. And just say, God, if you're a follower of Jesus in here this morning, and even if you're not, you can do this Call out to God and say, this is yours, God. Give me an attitude of abundance. Take away my mentality of scarcity, and I want to give this to you. Whatever's in my hands is yours. You multiply it. You do what you want to do with it. It is yours. All right. That's hopefully going to be a significant moment in your life where you've given something, some, when you've just, maybe you've let go of something, right? And you say, God, do whatever you want to do with this. And if you do that, I guarantee you, you will see abundance. So they picked up all the leftovers, and we'll close with these, these last verses. And now it happened that as he, Jesus, was praying alone, He's not really alone. The disciples are with him. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He withdraws. The crowds come. He's praying alone. The disciples are there, like, watching him. <laughs> and, and he asked them, who the crowds say that I am? So this is kind of what would be called an inclusio in the Scriptures. And, uh, so it starts on verses 7 through 9, where Herod's asking who Jesus is, right? And he assumes, or he says, well, maybe it's John. They say, maybe it's Elijah, maybe it's one of the old prophets, so we're going to see that same repetition here. And he asked them, who do they say? And the disciples answer this, or well, John the Baptist. Well, but others say, Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then Jesus says to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God which again is in contradistinction to verse seven, which says now Herod, the Tetrarch. Now we have Christ, the, the, sorry, the Christ of God, right? You see there how it, how it kind of forms this thing here in the scriptures. It's a different kingdom, guys. And Christ means he's the anointed one, he's the Messiah, he's the one to come, right? He's he's the king of kings, he's the Lord of lords, he's the prince of peace, he's the wonderful counselor, he's mighty God, he's the suffering servant. Wait, what? He's the suffering servant? We just said he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's mighty God. But this is what it means to be the Christ of God. Verses 21 and 22. He strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one this, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Why would he say don't tell anyone this? Seems weird, right? Because we're talking about sharing our faith, and we wouldn't say don't tell anyone about Jesus. Why would he say that here? Well, here's here's the quick kind of answer in a nutshell, it's because no one understood the kingdom of God. If Jesus says, hey guys, I'm here to rescue you, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to try to make him king. They're going to overthrow the Romans. They don't understand that, yes, he's king, but it's a different kingdom. They don't understand that, yes, he's lord of lords, but he's not an overlord. He's a servant lord. They don't understand how the kingdom of God works. He says, You can't tell anybody yet because I have to suffer. And why? This is one of the only places in the scriptures, if not the only place, I don't know, I can't verify that, but one of the only places where you see these two titles right next to each other in such a close proximity. One, Peter has just said, you are the Christ of God. You're the one who's come to rescue us and save us and redeem us. You've come to make everything right, to reconcile all things to yourself. You're that person. And then Jesus says, I'm also the son of man. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Why did he have to go to the cross? Why did he have to die? Only Jesus could have done it. He He had to take on flesh. He had to be the son of man, the representative for man. That's what it means. He's representing representing mankind, humankind. He's representing all of us. So he's a son of man, and he takes on flesh. But he's perfect God, and he never sins. And so Jesus is perfectly, fully God and perfectly, fully man at the same time. And it's only in representing both parties that he is the mediator and the bridge to the Father and the way to the Father for us. So he says, I have to suffer, I have to die, and then I have to show you, through me, it's possible to overcome sin, death, the grave, to receive healing, forgiveness, and to live in abundance. And so this morning, that's what he's welcoming us into. So if you're not a follower of Jesus today, Jesus wants healing for you, not condemnation, not more hurt and more pain. Jesus wants forgiveness for you. Jesus wants abundance for you, not scarcity. And he wants to switch out your mentality of scarcity for an attitude of abundance. He wants to say today that he's both the Christ of God and the Son of Man. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, look at what's in your hands. Most of us have way more than five loaves and two fish that God's given us. And we take this mentality of scarcity and some of us just think money, but some of us think our personality, some of us think our our gifts or abilities. Now you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Do you realize Ephesians 1 says that? You don't just have like two of them, and you, or one of them, or a hundred of them, or a thousand of them. You have every one of them. You have power and authority in Christ Jesus. You have all of those things at your disposal, and we're here worried about what's in our hands. Jesus says, go forth. Get rid of that mentality of scarcity and walk forward in an attitude of abundance. And as the church, we get to do that. Guys, people are seeking Jesus. We have a mentality of scarcity about that. People are seeking Jesus. There's an abundance of people seeking Jesus in this world, in our city, at your workplace, in your families. We get to go and show them healing, forgiveness, and abundance. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that that it builds us up, that it tears things out of us, that it that it shows us the truth, it shows us who you are, it shows us who we are, and shows us how to be more like you. So Jesus, in this time, just mold us more into your image. Make us more like you as a church, as individuals, as a body of Christ. Lord, make us more like you. We give you whatever's in our hands. Our hands are open for you to put whatever you want in them for us to use for your glory in your name's sight. We love you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen.